0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the bonus part of today's episode on toys. I hope you guys are enjoying this trip down memory lane. As you guys know, I now have a new excuse to play with toys. I've always played with toys, but now I have an excuse Thank you, Lara. Thanks to my daughter. Uh, I do have my own toys. As I look around my office slash studio right now, I'm looking at a Chewbacca doll. That's right. Or should I say, action figure? Well, it's not really an action figure. It's a doll. It's furry and fluffy, and it even makes the rrrr sound. I know that was a really bad Wookiee imitation. <laughs> Uh, I also have some model airplanes, so uh, I haven't stopped really playing with toys since I was a kid. And today we're just reminiscing, looking at uh, the interesting origins of some of our favorite toys. The next one that we're going to look at today is Mr. Potato Head. This one's so famous that uh, he's in movies uh the ones in Toy Story, I only—I almost feel like they're like uber famous toys. You know, they're in the pantheon of toys because they're in all these movies. Which, by the way, uh, talking about recommendations, Toy Story. Wow. I mean, was was I the only one? Obviously not. Uh, obviously, the people at Pixar—or is that Toy Story? Pixar was it? Well, um, they had the same idea. Because I always thought about that. I go, when I close the door to my room or when I leave the house, do my toys come to life? And I always thought that they did. And well, uh, when Toy Story came out, it confirmed my suspicion that I wasn't alone. (laughs) I'm not saying I had imaginary friends. I'm saying that my toys came to life. So Mr. Potato Head, now he was first introduced in 1952. As you guys can see, uh, during the 50s, there was a toy revolution, when my mom was a little kid, which is kind of cool, and uh, Mr. Potato Potato Head was basically a collection of eyes, noses, mouths, you know, the pieces that that they have now, and well, it was uh, B-Y-O-P, what? Well, normally we say B-Y-O-B, which means bring your own beer or bring your own booze, cuando hay una fiesta o algo, cada uno trae su alcohol, su cerveza, su licor. Bring your own booze or bring your own beer. But I said bring your own potato. B-Y-O-P. What? Are you serious? You mean the potato wasn't included? Nope. Not until 1964. So are you kidding me, Alberto? 12 years uh, of Mr. Potato Head being a huge selling toy And you had to provide your own potato. Well, why? Why the change? Why did they start including this plastic potato thing that now is in all the Mr. Potato Head boxes? Well, uh, in 1964, there were some more government regulations. As you guys see, government regulation or deregulation, as we said before, kind of determines what's going to happen. And think about this. I asked my wife and she said, no, I can't figure out why. Let's see if you guys can figure out why they discontinued the bring-your-own-potato uh, philosophy. Think about it. If in 1964 there were government regulations, well, the pieces. Think about those noses, those eyes, those mouths. If you got to stick them into a real potato— well, they have to be sharp. Tienen que estar bastante agudas. So uh, they decided, well, to get around that, they would come up with this plastic potato where you would stick these little plastic pieces in. And that's the Mr. Potato Head that we know and love today. But uh, remember I told you I was going to tell you about the first toy that was advertised on TV? that's Mr. Potato Head. I just did. I just told you about it. (laughs) That was the first one. And imagine it. It wasn't even really a toy. It was nose and mouth and things that were sharp and dangerous. And well, now I think uh, we got to say something positive about the industry. It seems like there are more regulations. It seems like they're trying to protect children and parents and uh, helping them make informed decisions. Um, You know, there's a lot of testing, as I said. uh, They're they're thinking about safety, Uh, small parts. You know, nobody wants their kid to choke on a small part. Uh, Choke is atragantarse, no? Um, So those are things that I think now are taken into consideration. But you want to know something, honestly, as a parent, You still shouldn't trust any industry if they say that, okay, ages two to four, but your daughter decides I'm going to put it in my mouth and swallow it, well... You should, as a parent too, be saying, "Well, maybe that could be dangerous." So, just because the toy industry is now being regulated a little bit more as far as safety is concerned, doesn't mean that we, as parents, as aunts, as uncles, uh, shouldn't be uh, paying attention. <laughs> it's not an excuse to not pay attention. Did I say that right? It's not an excuse to not pay attention. A lot of negativity in that sentence. It's not an excuse to uh, to get distracted and not pay attention. The next Next one. Uh, You know what? I'm going to put in a little sound effect right now, and you guys are going to tell me what we're going to talk about next. Let's hear this sound effect. That's right. You guessed it. Star Wars. Man. Oh. Star Wars now uh, this is a they have a really interesting story Star Wars and I remember hearing a bit about it here and there and uh, and also I want to recommend I, I I saw these amazing documentaries I believe they're on Netflix and uh, if you love toys and the history of toys and the marketing and all the interesting stories uh, you should check out the toys that made us it is absolutely fascinating and it it brought me way back to when I was a kid. So uh, Star Wars, I'll tell you some of their stories, but there are so many stories behind uh, this, uh, this, this saga of movies. Now, Star Wars was turned down, turned down as rechazado, by the biggest toy companies in the United States. Uh, nobody wanted to deal with them. Nobody wanted to make Star Wars toys. What? You want to make these space toys, this movie? Come on, it's a space opera? What are you, crazy? And normally, if people say that, that means you've got something good. (laughs) And uh, so George Lucas didn't give up. Of course he didn't give up. That's why we're saying his name right now. And the other guy, well, I don't know who those guys are, those toy companies that turned down uh, Star Wars. But one um, production team uh, accepted the deal with this little uh, Ohio company. Okay, uh, this tiny Ohio company called Kenner. It wasn't a major player by any means, and uh, so they were. Uh, they were uh, basically licensed to make the toys for this upcoming sci-fi, um, space opera. And this deal gave Kenner the exclusive rights to these toys that were all obviously based on the film. And they would have, uh, now here's, here's the, the part where they got, uh, Uh, screwed. Is that a bad word? That's kind of a bad word, but not... Okay, they got screwed. There's no other way to put it. And this was uh, like forever. A contract that basically said that they would have the rights in perpetuity. That means obviously forever uh, in contractual words. (laughs) And even if, uh, you know, things weren't going well, it didn't matter. And Kenner would give them $10,000 a year. What? What? you're kidding me, Star Wars only gets $10,000 a year, doesn't matter how many units are sold, doesn't matter, yeah, Star Wars only got ten. dollars they got a check every year, the people at Star Wars, you know, George Lucas's people, they got a check, un talon, for $10,000, and uh, well, uh, every year that check would come. And as long as they paid, well, you know, uh, they were kind of bound, atados, as we say, to that contract. Makes sense. That's the way contracts work. However, there's just a little problem. Um, if Kenner didn't pay on time, well, guess what? Well, that would nullify the contract. To nullify means to make it not uh, binding anymore. You broke the contract. And guess what? Uh, $10,000. Because of a $10,000 check that did not arrive, they canceled the contract. And they said, okay, we're done over here. Sorry, we never received payment. So uh, we take that uh, as uh, evidence that you forfeit. To forfeit is to ceder, I think. You forfeit, and you are out. You're out of the contract. They had their revenge because George Lucas was pissed, let's be honest. He You know, $10,000 a year. Just think about how popular these movies ca- became, and think about how much money they're still making now if this deal was still going on. And so George Lucas said in his own words that uh, this was the the worst deal he had ever negotiated. We also say to broker a deal too. That's another way to say that. And it was all because they were paying attention. That's right. They were paying attention and uh, they said, oh, guess what? These guys uh, didn't come through. To come through as complete. Contract canceled. Now, George Lucas, you know his movies, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. It's never about being on top or being on the bottom. It's about that cycle. And Lucas had his revenge. And uh, Hasbro, a very popular toy company, bought Kenner. Uh, th- this was in 1991. That's when that check. That's the reason that that check didn't go through. They, you know, uh, when the when you buy a company, well, there's a lot of stuff, and they. Guess somebody overlooked that, and they didn't send that very important check on time, and it never arrived, and that ended the contract. Now, Hasbro was able to renegotiate a licensing agreement for the Phantom Menace movie. Guess who was in charge now? The tables had turned. George Lucas said, yeah, okay, sure, we can uh, we can do another deal over here. We can renegotiate a new contract. Let's put it this way: I see it was nowhere near as generous as uh, the deal that uh, they had formerly broken, uh, brokered. Excuse me with kenner before it was bought by hasbro so uh interesting the toy wars over there hey that's a lot of money you know you got to make sure how many times have we heard that story in the news somebody who created something amazing and they're poor and they they don't have enough money to make ends meet you gotta find them is and, uh, well, the good thing about George Lucas is he had his revenge. He had to wait a long time, but he finally got it uh, decades later. Um, also, guys, I told you I was going to tell you about these, this hula hoop craze. My mother said, oh, everybody was uh, jump roping. There's another really simple toy, and it's actually good because you do some exercise. So jump roping, but uh, the hula hoop. Now, uh, British doctors... Uh, this is in Britain, doctors, uh, they noted that there were um, more back and neck problems uh, after the hula hoop got popular. And so they started writing, you know, reports and in these medical journals against hula hoops. They're saying, guys, this is dangerous. People are going to get hurt. Uh, uh, but Indonesia, oh, this one takes the cake. Esta se lleva la palma. In Indonesia, hula hoops were banned. Why? Well, uh, it promoted, uh, you know, lascivious behavior, uh, lustful feelings. Uh, let's put it this way: uh, too sexual, too racy. And you know what? I think that's kind of weird because you can see a, you know, somebody, you know, playing with a hula hoop and and not think sexual. So, um, hmm, Indonesia. I wonder why you guys are saying that. Maybe you're a little bit uh, repressed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, now, I imagine that it they are legal now, but uh, at one time, uh, they were banned. In uh, and, and guys, we all know this now. If you want to make something popular, ban it. Ban it. And that's actually, that brings us to our next story. Uh, Garbage Pail Kids. Now, again, these aren't, uh, toys, these are based on toys, the Cabbage Patch Kids, which we're going to look at right now, but um, Garbage Pail Kids, those were, were banned in my school. They wouldn't let us trade them anymore because they were disgusting and they were, you know, immoral and gross and and I was thinking, well, they're, they're fun. But again, the only thing they did there is cre- create more of a demand. All of us wanted to play with, uh, you know, and, and trade Garbage Pail Kids more than ever. And, uh, and uh, obviously, these, these very popular Garbage Pail Kids were both based on the Cabbage Patch Kids, which, which Cabbage Patch Kids became the most sought-after Christmas gift Ever sought after as buscado. There were people punching each other in the face. There were people like you know knocking each other out. It was I remember it. It was a, a pretty uh, pretty uh pretty tough. It showed a, a very ugly side of humanity and uh, and now we know that now companies they purposely create a demand. iPhone has done it before, so people want it even more. Uh, now supposedly. Uh, cabbage Patch Kids didn't do that. They they really didn't meet the demand. They couldn't meet the demand. And it was chaotic. And I don't know how my mom did it, but my mom got my sister and I, Cabbage Patch Kids. And I think those were like the must have toy, as we call it, um, like for a couple years in a row. And uh, if you guys remember, they were created by a guy named Xavier Roberts. If you remember, there was a little signature on their bum, on their bottom, suculete and uh and it said Xavier Roberts and you know what he didn't create them No, he didn't. And I I learned this probably about a month ago. I saw this documentary. I highly recommend it. It's on the Vice channel on their website, Vice. And it's called, if you want to look it up, The Secret History of Cabbage Patch Kids. And Xavier Roberts, the genius, the guy that everybody lauded as this amazing guy. Wow, he made these dolls that you adopted and you didn't buy. And what a great idea. And they're so cute, but he ripped them off. Los they weren't his idea. It's clear that he ripped them off in this documentary, as you'll see further. But there's photo evidence too. There's a famous picture of Xavier Roberts, the now we know fake creator, the, the guy who robbed an idea and made all the money. Um, but um, there's a photo evidence of this woman, Martha Nelson Thomas. If you want to Google her, Martha Nelson Thomas, and she's sitting there with these dolls that she created, and it's very similar to a photo that Xavier Roberts took like a decade later. So it's clear that these Cabbage Patch Kids, or something very, very similar to them, um, came out and were uh, created by this woman, Martha Nelson Thomas. And there are there's even proof that Xavier Roberts reached out to her, contactó con ella, because he wanted to sell them, and she said no. And then, uh, well, he won. He won the case, and it was because what makes something yours think about this. We just mentioned it. What makes something yours? Your signature, right? And what didn't her dolls have? Martha Nelson Thomas's dolls did not have a signature on them. And Xavier Roberts knew. He goes, "Ooh, I'm going to rip off this idea. But before anybody tries to say it's not my idea, I'm going to put my signature on there. And that is the reason that these Cabbage Patch Kids... Uh, The stolen, this idea that was stolen, um, well, they took off, and that's the reason they have that signature there, Uh, and it blew my mind because, you know, I remember people, you know, news reports, Xavier Roberts, wow, genius, entrepreneur, and now a look at him in a totally different light check out the documentary it's called the secret history of cabbage patch kids there are also articles uh that are written on it too and remember that guys you should watch documentaries you should read articles about things that interest you and i think this is interesting because you know we knew that there was some drama in the shops and in the stores you know when when these things when there was a a huge demand for them but i had no idea that the whole existence of these little popular must-have toys is probably even more fascinating than the, you know, the uh, the story of the toys themselves because let's be honest the idea is really cool. You know, you adopt these. They're born in a cabbage patch and you adopt them. So the marketing was perfect and there's that I that idea of how important marketing is as well. Think about it. I remember a, a period where they were selling something called a pet rock and people paid money for a rock. Oh, my God. As we say in English, there's a sucker born every minute. Uh, un mamón nace cada minuto. There's a sucker born. No, un pringao. Somebody who believes everything is a sucker. Somebody who is very gullible. Um, not somebody who is too smart. Uh, like our next uh, guy we're going to talk about, Lonnie Johnson. Now, have you heard this guy? you heard of this guy, Lonnie Johnson? No? Haven't heard of him? Well, this guy, Lonnie Johnson... Basically, he was a NASA engineer. he helped develop the stealth bomber. Now, the stealth bomber stealth is something that cannot be detected on radar. It's a, it's a high-tech cutting edge. La Vanguardia, we say cutting edge plane. It's aviation, it's you know the, the I would say the right now, the top. This stealth technology, and he was one of the people who developed it. Well, Lonnie Johnson had some other ideas, too, not just stealth technology. He wanted, yeah, well, to have fun. He, I guess he liked water guns, but he felt like the water guns that existed up to that point were kind of weak, un poco débil. So he invented something that we now know and love, and if you haven't used one of these, uh, I've got to admit it, they're a lot of fun, and I'm talking about the super soaker, the super empapador, that's right, to be soaked is empapado. So the super soaker soaks you. And I had no idea. I've played with these my whole life. It's like, uh, let's see, a water gun or a squirt gun, but on steroids. And I guess it makes sense if it was, you know, made by a NASA engineer. He goes, how could we make a totally rocking squirt gun And he did. And well, this guy, uh, he actually used the royalties from this invention to form a, a research and development company, which focuses on solar power. So, This guy, I mean, wow, he's brilliant. Uh, This Lonnie Johnson guy, an interesting guy. If you want to check out a biography, that's another interesting thing you can do too, to get your dose of English. Check out different biographies of famous people. We'll be taking a look at some uh, in the future here on the show as well. Some people who have influenced our world. Uh, Speaking of Paddington Bear. There's another one. I don't know in um, in Spain, but in the United States and Britain. Wow, Paddington Bear. I remember reading those books when I was a kid in the library and in kindergarten or first grade. I, I don't remember, but some of my earliest memories as far as books were concerned was Paddington Bear. And this was created in 1972 by a couple named Shirley and Eddie Clarkson you recognize that last name Clarkson well yeah well they wanted to they decided to make a nice special cool uh, unique teddy bear for their young son Jeremy Did, did you were you paying attention that the last name was Clarkson Jeremy Clarkson the host of Robot Wars and Top Gear that's right um he was his parents I didn't know this at all invented the very famous Paddington Bear. So he was the first kid to have the real and authentic Paddington Bear. And there's a picture, a funny picture I found on the internet when I was researching of him holding the original Uh, the original Paddington Bear. And I think it's a a very endearing photo. So yeah, the host of Robot Wars and Top Gear. Can you imagine him hugging his teddy bear? (laughs) I guess his friends make a lot of fun of him. Uh, They make make fun of him a lot, excuse me. Um, And speaking of TV, speaking of TV, popularized by TV, as we said, many, many toys were popularized by commercials, commercials, anuncios de televisión. But I mean popularized by, stars who use them or were seen with them and that is the case of twister this uh life-size board game where you spin this wheel and you have to put your it's a it's a good game to practice with kids left foot red right foot blue And this game became popular after it was featured on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Uh, Johnny Carson and Eva Gabor, she was a very famous actress at the time, uh, were playing Twister. And once that happened, uh, the game, this popular game still to this day, uh, this popular game, Uh, sold like hotcakes. To sell like hotcakes is eh, como churros. Se vende como churros. And uh, another one that uh, was influenced by uh, a famous person or a celebrity endorsing it was Tickle Me Elmo, now, Elmo's a famous Sesame Street character in the United States. And I remember this year as well. There was such a demand for this toy, uh, the classic supply and demand, oferta y demanda. And to tickle is uh, dar cosquillas. If you're ticklish, es que respondes, right? So I'm ticklish is no me des cosquillas porque me voy a... Right. And there's a very famous uh, TV presenter. Uh, she's also an actress. Some of you might know Rosie O'Donnell, and she featured this Tickle Me Elmo toy uh, on her talk show, and the rest is history. Uh, there were lines outside the stores trying to get the last ones And uh, sure, Uh, Sesame Street was very, very pleased because, as I said, uh, nothing like a little demand to get people into your product. And uh, the next one is something that I don't know if it was popular here, but these were almost popular. They were almost infamous in the United States. They had a reputation for being like possessed, poseídos. Yeah, the Furby. Did you guys have this one? The Furby, it's a really weird sounding... (laughs) And as I said, the eyes moving and stuff. Uh, when I was researching this show today, um, I got scared. There were some videos on YouTube of some Furbies doing some weird things, making some some really wacky sounds like... Rah, rah. Well, uh, <laughs> these, these Furbies, I mean, I don't know. They're not attractive. They're not cute. Uh, and well, the NSA, the National Security Agency... Uh, They didn't like them either. No way, Jose. Because in 1999, they allegedly they allegedly banned Furbies from their headquarters in Maryland. Yeah, they were scared that uh, these animals, these stuffed animals that came to life would be able to hear their top secret conversations and plans and then repeat them. Because if I'm not mistaken, the Furby would repeat what you said, but then sometimes there were problems with the recorders and Ooh, this uh, this toy definitely. Um, when we talk about it in the United States, uh, we always talk about it uh, in a joking way. It's kind of the laughing stock, as we say. Uh, you say elafme Raid. Right? and uh, I think we're gonna end talking about video games. Now, here's another one. Is this a toy? Sure. Why not? People play with video games. Uh, they interact with them, they make friends, and they play with other people. I mean, now more than ever, uh, video games. And aside from being a toy, it's a serious industry. Right now, I saw a figure the other day the video game industry will exceed, okay, superar, 160 billion. Now, billion is mil millones. We say billion in revenue. Now, just to give you a a comparison, that is four times, cuatro veces, four times the global film and TV industry. So, are video games uh, toys? Maybe. You could argue that or not. But are they here to stay? Oh, yeah. They're getting bigger and bigger. They're filling stadiums now. And uh, it's crazy because I remember my teacher saying, you can't play video games for a living. No puedes jugar videojuegos todo tu vida para que te paguen, ¿no? (laughs) And now I'd love to see students say, oh, really? Uh, Because I'm making millions over here on YouTube and filling stadiums. It's it's incredible. A part of me doesn't understand it. But another part of me is fascinated by the video game industry and just how much it's grown and evolved. And I think it's an interesting industry to watch. But as I said before, you don't need high-tech stuff a little stone and maybe a stick and you can play (laughs) stickball. You can make up your own game. You get a piece of paper and you fold it and you've got origami. We don't need these big expensive toys to be entertained. You know, I, I, with my daughter, I'm, I'm always thinking about what kind of toys do I want to get my daughter? And I think as far as I'm concerned, creative toys, toys where she can create and do things, not toys that she's limited and just has to kind of Uh, as a static kind of thing. I'm thinking, you know, when I think of that, I think of, like, musical instruments, you know? Uh, Should I get her a saxophone, you think? Hmm, nah, maybe the saxophone was a bad idea. Should I get her a drum set? Yeah, Oh no, 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 no. I think uh, we'll hold off as long as we can. But I think the most important thing is that no matter what age you are, no matter what age you feel, I think it's important to play a little bit every day. And when I say that, I mean let your imagination run wild. We'll end with a, a quote that I've always loved, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but if you're not, I think this is definitely my motto too, mi eslogan también, and it was, a, it was a said by George Bernard Shaw, and he said, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old Because we stop playing. So my amigos, when you're learning English, make it fun. Make it a game. Play a little bit every day. And that way we keep that inner child alive and kicking. Guys, that's all the time we have for today on FYI.